0: the 200 level episode 246 Mike Carpenter on a very brisk Wednesday evening in the basement studio and it has been five days since we've done a 200 level not because there's any lack of interest or anything but to be quite honest Monday when the double overtime game at the state Farm center ended I and many other people that were there and probably even those that weren't there just watching it on tv were exhausted it was an absolutely tremendous atmosphere it was a a throwback feeling. At what I felt like was the assembly hall, to be quite honest. This took me back to some of the early 2000s games. And there was a roar specifically when Purdue missed the shot that forced a first overtime. So it was uh, Sasha Stefanovich missed it pretty badly. And you first heard the roar from that end of the court as they got the vantage point. My friend and I were sitting behind the Illinois basket at that point, And it was so deafeningly loud. But I got chills down my spine, which sounds kind of like a cliche, but it's true. It was that electric in there. And it was as happy as I have felt, leaving a big time loss of the State Farm Center in a long time. Maybe happy is not the right word. I should say there was more an absence of anger. And I was thinking about what to call this podcast and whatever showing up on your dashboard or your phone may be different than what I'm thinking right here and right now. But it did feel like a moral victory. And Maybe where this Illinois program is at, we shouldn't be counting those, but all things considered, when you look at the weird game that we saw on Monday, and it was weird in many ways, Kofi Coburn, not really a factor, and we'll get to that plenty, trust me. Andre Corbello being a superstar, we'll talk about that plenty, trust me. Um, All these things mixed with a game that just felt like you were always chasing And that if Illinois would have won, it would have been a game that they stole. And I would have been plenty happy for Illinois to steal a win. Trust me, I would have been (laughs) feeling amazing the rest of the day and would have hopped behind the microphone right after the game to talk about it. But yeah, we're sitting here five days after the last podcast, and it does feel like the rest of the season is kind of laid out for this team. And that's not to say that anything is predetermined or that this is a team of destiny. I don't necessarily believe in that, but I do think that the way things set up for them – is pretty advantageous the rest of the way, including this Big Ten schedule and including the stretch of games that are coming up here. So, is there such thing as a moral victory for a team that is now ranked 17th in the nation and lost at home to, what is it, 7th in the nation and number 4 on Ken Palm? But I think Purdue is ranked 7th. I'd have to check the AP poll, but they looked every bit their ranking. And to be quite honest, I think Illinois looked every bit at their ranking on that Monday. As the home team... They got that momentum going late to stretch this into two overtimes, but it really felt like the entire time we were kind of reaching for them and not vice versa. If anything, if you're a Purdue fan, you're thinking, why did it take so long to close that game out? I think Purdue will be fine. I do think there's something missing about that team where I cannot say that, oh yeah, they were a surefire Final Four team. I could easily see them losing in the second weekend to a 4-5 or seed. I I am assuming that Purdue gets a 1-2 or seed themselves. And I could see them losing in frustrating fashion because there's some sort of it factor that I'm not quite buying with that Purdue team, but they are balanced. I mean, they have everything that you could want, offensively especially. And that's why during that game on Monday, whatever Illinois did, it felt like, man, they, they got Jaden Ivey, who eventually kind of got going in the second half. They got two bigs that Kofi Coburn couldn't stop, but BBV could, go figure. And then Sasha Stefanovic, And all week long, or I should say the few days leading up to it, that really felt like the X factor. And you can't call a guy like Stefanovich, I guess, an X factor. He is a known quantity here. And I know that Jeremy Warner was harping on it. I think Michael Tulip was, too, on last week's podcast of the Alana Inquirer. Maybe Derek Piper as well. And maybe that kind of fed my, um, my mindset going into that game. Don't get beat by the guy with the awful haircut. And no offense to Sasha, but please, just I mean do something with that. It looks miserable. But he's so good. And he is the difference in that game. Along with Zach Eady going you know, 14 points in the first half and Kofi not giving you much. There's a lot of reasons why he lost, but none of it felt fluky. It felt like Purdue was the better team, but ultimately, when all is said and done, I think Illinois might find their way to being the better team themselves. And the reason I say that, and the reason that I even go the moral victory direction here in this podcast, is not many things went Illinois' way in that game against Purdue. Not many things. Eventually, they started hit some threes late, which turned this into an actual game. But as I'm looking at the uh, chart here on Kenpom, they basically have a win probability chart. And Purdue, with as little as a minute left in regulation, had a 72.6% chance to win that game. With as little as a minute left. I mean, I remember looking at my friend and thinking, what is our cutoff here? Like, is it a three-possession game with a minute to go where we start trying to walk around the concourse to get closer to our parking lot? And then, boom, you go to overtime. You look at the first overtime, Purdue, with as much as a 75% chance to win with 30 seconds left in that overtime. And then you get to the second overtime. You somehow force that. And then they close it out. But that's just one indicator of how that entire game, it felt like we're chasing We aren't getting the shots to drop. Kofi's only playing 20 minutes, and when he's out there, he's not his normal Kofi self. And I think that can change come February 10th. I think that the fortunes of this Illinois team, I don't know if change is the right word, because they're still pretty much red hot. They've won six of their last seven Big Ten games, or I should say 21 or 20 of their last 22, something like that. So it's not like their fortunes need to change but I do think they can keep rolling here. This Purdue game is not necessarily some sign that things are going to fall out from under them. Quite the contrary. So this is going to be a positive podcast in, in many ways. And I hope you're ready for it because I would not normally do that after a big home loss. But that's how I'm feeling on this Wednesday evening. Now, before we get too far into it, I've got to remind you the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices dpdo.com. they deliver anywhere in Champaign urbana so when it's friday night and you're watching illinois at maryland and you're tuning in to the 200 level twitch stream during the second half you can stay in the comfort of your home stay out of the cold weather and let them bring a piping hot calzone to your doorstep that's dpdo.com. fourth and kirby online at fourth and kirby.com vintage inspired one eye apparel hoodies, crewneck sweatshirts, and t-shirts, and you still got at least, and hopefully more than that, two months of Alani basketball. So go over to and and get the swag that you're going to wear to the State Farm Center the rest of the year. That's and Kirby.com. Also, Rector Construction, R-E-C-T-O-R construction.com. All your home exterior projects, and while it is miserably cold right now, doesn't mean you can't get a free estimate on any home exterior project at RectorConstruction.com. These guys are expert craftsmen. There's great customer service, and they'll get back to you pretty quick on this and get you a quote or an estimate so you can work with that. I cannot recommend these guys highly enough at rectorconstruction.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy as well. That's Life Auto Home Business Renters. Yeah, I already gave you the list. We do homeowners and auto. And it's a really good state-farm price, of course. But they just made the whole process easy. So I can't recommend Brian and his staff enough at brianismyguy.com. lot I Enquire, and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with The 200 Level. So let's get back to Monday. And the game at the State Farm Center and the the crowd was absolutely electric. I I mentioned that in the opening segment, and I want to repeat just how freaking awesome it felt in there. As my friend and I were driving to the State Farm Center, and then, by the way, the lines were pretty long outside, and it's a good thing that the pregame ceremony went a little bit longer. They had a, a chorus sing, lift every voice and sing, and then they did the national anthem. They did that for Martin Luther King Day, those two songs, and... It was good, because that gave people time to get in, and by the time the game tipped off, it looked like most everyone had gotten their seats, so that's the good news. And we were kind of waiting early on for the big moment to get things going, and it really got going when Illinois took a 24-20 lead, and I thought at that point, as early as it was in the game, that that did feel like a tipping point. Now, what happened next was Omar Payne got a flagrant, and we could say that that changed the momentum, but... Even if it was more of an acute momentum changer, I think that Purdue would have made their run no matter what. However, did it need to be seventeen to nothing? Probably not. So before we get too much into any individual performance and say, "Well, this is the reason you lost or this is the reason you lost," you can't be giving up seventeen to nothing runs. Illinois before that had a ten nothing run of their own, so this is. College basketball. It's a game of runs, but 17 to nothing against Purdue, you can't really afford that. And, you know, you went to halftime trailing by, was it nine or 11? I think 11. It felt more like the Seton Hall game in 2000. And if I recall that, I think Illinois was trailing by as much as 18 at halftime to the point where, as a 15 year old, I think I was 15 at the time, 14, sorry, I was in eighth grade. And I asked my dad at halftime, can we leave? And he's like, what are you talking about, leave? Like, it's basketball. Anything can happen. Well, he was right. Illinois forced overtime and won in an all-time classic. Now, I had the same sort of thought going into the second half, and not just wishful thinking. I really did think that, okay, this Illinois team has shown me that they probably are not just going to lay down and let Purdue kind of cruise to a victory here in the second half. And within the first media timeout, Illinois got it within six, and I thought, my God, we do this exercise on the 200 level when we do these live podcasts. How each and every four-minute increment in the second half, did you either gain on your margin, right, or did you lessen the other team's margin themselves? And and that is to say, if Illinois is trailing, can you take that eight-point deficit to a five-point deficit by the next media timeout? Or if Illinois is winning, can you expand on that by the next media timeout? They did that. And then there was a little bit of a back and forth, and then you get within the eight-minute mark. And then Purdue, I think, goes back up maybe eight or nine points. And it just felt, I don't want to say hopeless at that point, but a bit of a stretch. And then Andre Corbello was Andre Corbello. I want to start with him because outside of just the great atmosphere at the stadium and the fact that it felt like a heavyweight match for much of that game, even with Illinois not giving their best shot for much of it, Andre Curbelo is a superstar, and he looked every bit the kind of guy that we thought we were going to get this year. And I don't think it is presumptuous to say that we are going to get more performances like that and less performances like the one you saw early in the year. This is a team at a different juncture, and I think Corbello is a smart enough player to recognize that and to know that what he was doing against the likes of Marquette, he does not need to do now. He has the full complement of players, and that he can be Andre Corbello. Now, that's not to say that he needs to be passive. And I thought when it came out at about, what, 10 a.m., 9.45, on Monday morning, I thought, wow, okay, Corbello's playing. That's great news. It gave me a little bit of jolt of energy. But I thought, just play seven or eight minutes, pass the ball, dribble. That's all you're asking him to do so Trent Frazier can at least be full strength and not be gassed by the end of it. And that's what it felt like for the first half. Corbello finished the first half with, I think two points and an assist, some pretty good minutes. He looked like he had a bounce in a step. He didn't really look rusty, but the question still was how much is he going to play in the second half? And my God, um, it didn't feel like he was forcing much. There was a three pointer, which you wish you could have had back that of course he missed. He's still not a good three point shooter. But for the most part, everything else came naturally for him. And we were on that basket. We were behind the Illinois basket in the second half in overtimes. So we got a bird's eye view of everything he was doing. And it felt so much like the Curbelo that you saw last February and March. He's a superstar. That's all there is to it. We know the intangibles. We know the it factor. But at the end of the day, he's just a great basketball player. And to do that, after apparently, Brad Underwood said, he had practiced Twice. The conditioning's not there, and he did all that. It's special. I wish we could have gotten the win because that would have been a sort of, was it Clyde Frazier, the Knicks player? Walt Frazier? I forget. It was the Knicks player that came back in Game 7 the NBA Finals, and that's a historic NBA moment, even though I can't remember his name necessarily. (laughs) But it could have been on a much smaller scale that for Illinois, we would have looked back on this game specifically as the Andre Corbello game, and perhaps we still will, right? If the season goes on, and Andre Curbelo looks like the guy that we thought we were going to get all along. This is the turning point. And we didn't even have to wait. I mean, it's like he comes back and we, we didn't have to have some sort of transitional period. It was just, oh, wait, Andre Curbelo a star again. How easy was that? He looks so damn good. And it's not just that Andre Curbelo produces on the court. It's the fact that there is an energy and a positivity, positivity that he brought back. That while this team had it, you know, this team found it after that week in Kansas City where everything was floundering. They found it themselves, but there is a looseness to Andre Curbelo's game and to his demeanor and personality that kept this Illinois team loose despite trailing in that second half as much as they were. I think going forward, the impact that he has on the court is almost immeasurable. You know, we can talk about how good this team got offensively in December and through this first part of January. Though, in the last couple weeks, we've started to see that slip a little bit. Mostly because the three-point shooting hasn't been at the same level that it was for about a five-week period. But I think that can all come back, along with the added wrinkle of Crebello being able to get to the rim when he needs to. And he doesn't have to force it now, because he knows he's got shooters around him. And also, here is where it goes hand-in-hand with my biggest concern, Kofi Coburn. And before I get into the other concerns with Kofi... I really need to start by saying I think Kofi's going to be just fine, and part of the reason is Corbella was back. I think I read where they only had 10 plays on the court together. 10 plays. And I think, oh, my God. you know, it, Maybe if Kofi had been in foul trouble, yeah, you, you do win this game because those two would have gotten that rhythm going far earlier in the second half, and you wouldn't have had to play it. And God bless BBV. I mean, what an, a monster effort from BBV, but he's not really an offensive threat. As we saw that time that he <laughs> passed up a layup and it turned into a three. It worked out great. But, you know, if Kofi's out there, he dunks it. And he's going to get those opportunities often with Andre Corbello on the court. I think whatever is ailing Kofi right now, the cure for that is Corbello and him playing together. And we'll see that as early as Friday. So I'm excited for that. But Corbello is back. It is reason to be excited. He instantly raises your ceiling and I think should make you feel good about still winning the Big Ten. And for him to come back when the lights were brightest in front of that crowd, he had not played in front of a crowd like that ever. I mean, he played in front of some Illini fans early this year, but that was more of a, you know, get back into the swing of things and, oh, we're back at the State Farm Center. This is cool. Maybe a little bit of excitement, but not compared to Monday. And he kept his head cool and he made big play after big play. One turnover or no turnovers, I forget. There was one moment where he was dribbling, kept dribbling, and there were three Purdue guys all around him. This is late in the game, and it was, again, on our side of the court. And y- you had that moment. You tensed up and thought, oh, God, here, here's Andre Cribello doing too much. But actually, no, he played a clean game. He was fantastic. I- I'm just over the moon that he's back. And it makes me that much more excited for all the games going forward. I loved what this team was doing, and I had reached a point where I thought, well— You can't count on Corbello to come back. It's just too many things seem to be going against it at this point. And if he does, how good is he going to be? Well, he does that. Well, he's back, ladies and gentlemen. And hopefully the head injury thing doesn't rear its ugly head again, and he doesn't have symptoms, and he can just roll with it. I do think an encouraging sign is that he will be talking to the media Thursday morning. I think that if there were any sort of guarded optimism, that you wouldn't see something like that. There's something to be said about, okay, Brad Underwood talks to Andre, how you feeling? Great. Okay, they do all the diagnostic checks and things are looking pretty good. Great. Okay, Andre, let's get back into the swing of things with press conferences and and start making you the face of this thing again. I don't think a decision like that is made unless they feel pretty confident that he is, in fact, back. So that is reason to be excited and part of this moral victory narrative I want to go with. Now, concern. Kofi has not been right. Not just physically, because you notice this sort of heaviness to his feet, right? He's just not quite as agile, it looks like. There's almost a heaviness on his shoulders. But I think part of that's mental, emotional, you know, and I I hope he's okay. And I think overall he probably is, and this is just a slump. But yes, I am concerned about Kofi. I'm not yet concerned long-term, because I do think that he can snap out of this, and Curbella was the cure that ails him. But I was disappointed with Kofi beyond just the lack of production. And yes, there were two bad foul calls on him. The other three were not. And ultimately, if you are a player of the year candidate, you figure it out. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but the fourth foul that he got was inexcusable. The third foul, that was a terrible call. One of the worst I've seen. Right in front of us, and it was every bit as bad up close as it probably was on your TV screen. But the fourth foul, you got to void. It was a stupid hip check. Didn't need to do that. The fifth foul, I kind of forget how it happened. I'm pretty sure it was a legit foul. And you wish that he would get those calls? I, I think that it's kind of silly how Zach Eadie was doing a lot of hooking. And I mean, he's seven foot four. he's a freak of nature, so maybe he was getting the benefit of the doubt, but why not Kofi? I can't answer that question. But that is beside the point. Regardless of how the game's being officiated, you've got to find a way to stay on that court. And he didn't. And then this is what ticked me off. And normally I don't want to read too much into this because this almost makes me sound like Bruce Weber here. Well, I can't do a Bruce Weber imitation. I'm not going to try, but you do recall towards the tail end of the Bruce Weber era, he would just ride his guys and, and he just felt this, the body language is terrible all around. And you're wondering, I mean, God, do they even want to be here right now? There was a moment when Kofi got his fourth foul and he came to sit down of course he looked dejected, and in that moment, I'm okay with it, right? Well, then Illinois quickly went, I think, on a 4 nothing, 5 nothing run, and Purdue had to call a timeout, or maybe it was a media timeout. State Farm Center's going nuts, and Kofi is the last one off the bench, as opposed to being, you know, super encouraging of his teammates. Now, you might say, Carp, that's a bit unreasonable, and maybe it is. It might be, but I would like to see him, because he's been such a positive force for this program. I would have liked to see him as the guy, despite four fouls, being the first off the bench, encouraging his teammates. You are the veteran on this team, one of many. You're a veteran. You've started every game since you've been here. And you're a national player of the year candidate. And it might be bad luck that you're on the bench, but your guys are still out there playing their butts off. And that moment kind of ticked me off. You know, come on, Kofi. You know, you know that he's a great dude, and and you know that he didn't have to come back here. And he didn't have to come back to the pros. If he didn't make the NBA, he would have been playing pro ball somewhere and making money there. So we're lucky to be able to experience this. It's still Kofi. I still love wearing his jersey. And he's going to be one of my all-time favorite Illini. And if they do something March, he is going to cement his name among the very, very, very best. And actually, I say that. He already is up there. Okay? But that really bummed me out. And you can't have that. Now, one, you can't have four fouls with 17 minutes left in the game. But if you happen to have that situation again, you can't have that same sort of body language because if you look over as a player on that team and your stud looks like he's checked out, even temporarily, that's not good. Now, fortunately, this team has enough guys that are just tough as nails. I cannot question this team's toughness. Last year, there were moments as late as the Ohio State and Maryland game. And actually, I think that the Friday night game against Michigan State might have coincided, or maybe it was Monday, it was a year ago that they would have lost to Ohio State at home, which was arguably the low point, if not one of the low points, of last season, where we didn't really know how tough this team was and what's their deal, what is... Why can't they get up for these games? No, this team is getting up for games. This team is continuing to play well out of halftime. This team is continuing to find ways to either win or get damn close to it. So I feel great about all of that. But nonetheless, even though you have a Trent Frazier and an Andre Curbelo and an Alfonso Plummer and all these different guys that are winners, you can't have Kofi acting like that. You just can't. I don't know what kind of conversation you could have. I, I'm sure that Brad Underwood and the assistants saw it. I know the Fletch has been uh, riding him really hard recently. I do think that Corbello was a big cure for him because it's going to be some easy buckets for Kofi. He won't have to labor on every offensive possession. It's just going to open things up for him. I think you will see a looseness to his game beginning Friday because I think he'll feast on Maryland. I think this Illinois team will win easily against a Maryland team that's checked out. I'm not at all concerned about that game. And then Michigan State, I think, presents another good matchup for Illinois. Come back home, get a game like that against a Michigan State team that I don't think is playing particularly well right now, not just because they lost to Northwestern, a tougher-than-we-thought-Northwestern team, but I think it's a good matchup for Illinois anyways. And then you have a tough game, and I I mean that, I mean that, a tough game at Northwestern. I'm not looking forward to that because the prospect of losing to them makes me want to vomit, and I hope to not vomit, on Saturday, January 29th. But it's worrisome, to a degree. I think it gets fixed. I think Kofi figures it out. I think he becomes the Kofi that we all have grown accustomed to. And if he does, we know what the ceiling is for this team. With Corbello back, and with Kofi becoming Kofi again, then this is a Final Four caliber team, as it stands right now, because that has not happened yet. And because Jacob Grandison is struggling mightily, and that's, that's a problem. And DeMonte, as good as he was defensively against Jaden Ivey, isn't doing a lot for you offensively, though he did hit a big three late. So I I think if you're asking me, well, okay, what are the realistic expectations for DeMonte Williams? I got to say, really, what we saw Monday was pretty par for the course, and he did play 45 minutes. I mean, guarding Jaden Ivey for 42 of them, the 42 that Jaden Ivey was out there. So I cannot really be mad at DeMonte for six boards, only one turnover, two blocks, a steal, a big three, you know, come on. So I, I kind of rescind that comment. I am worried about Jacob Grandison, though. You know, th- there's just something not right there. And they have this thing called offensive rating on Ken Palm. Now, if you look at this, you can guess, well, actually, it says DeMonte Williams has the highest offensive rating, go figure. Um, Andre Corbello has the second. Trent Frazier, Alfonso Plummer, really high out there. Benjamin Bonson's for high up there, too, because he actually had an assist, he had a couple offensive rebounds, he had four points, made two of his first free throws and then missed the other two, so I I feel bad for BBV because when those first two went in, I looked at my friend like, oh my god, I mean, if he's making his free throws, we're going to win this game. And then he misses his last two, but I can't even be angry at him because you're putting him out there for 20 minutes against Zach Eady and Travion Williams. That's absolutely insane. Uh, But then the two worst guys for you offensively, according to this rating, and you got to have a certain number of minutes to qualify for this, were Kofi and Jacob Grandison. What the hell, guys? And, and I'm, if you would have told me going into that game that those two guys were going to struggle, i say, well, we aren't going to win. And even if you would have added in the bonus that Andre Crivello drops 20, you needed Kofi and Grandison to be better. They have to be better. There's not much analysis to that. They just need to be better. Jacob Grandison needs to be better than 1-for-5 from the field. Or I should say, I'm sorry. He was 1-for-5 from 2 and 2-for-5 from 3. So 3-for-10? For For a guy that was so much more efficient offensively, Kofi 3-for-9? Now, he did go 4-for-4 from the line. That's fine, but that's not good enough. I mean, one offensive board for Kofi. Four defensive boards. That's paltry. That's not good enough. And uh, he knows it. He knows it and he doesn't need fanboy carp telling him what to do. <laughs> I think he knows full well what to do, and I think Maryland's gonna get the wrath of it on Friday. So I I I'm actually really excited for that game. When you talk about the emotions of a game like Monday, I think that is one positive sign from Illinois is that immediately Brad Underwood made sure to turn this into a positive moment. And you saw that in a video that they put up on Illinois basketball when he goes in the locker room and the things that he says to the team are basically, hey, keep your head up, you know, and, and then you see tweets from Trent and other guys afterwards, Alfonso Plummer, that sound more confident than ever. So if there is a best case scenario loss, I guess this is it, you know, and go get them back on February 10th. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. I think that our full complement of guys versus their full compliment. Do I feel like Illinois is going to win that game? No, because Mac Arena is incredibly tough to win at, but I can't wait. And if you do win, hey, no harm, no foul. You got one there, and they got one here. Even Steven. Now, what does this mean for Illinois' Big Ten chances? I still feel good about that. And I want to start with the next three-game stretch before we get into a bit of a gauntlet. Maryland, Michigan State, Northwestern. Okay, so you're at Maryland, and right now Ken Palm still has a seven-point win, but I don't think that factors in that Maryland has essentially given up on the season. They got killed at Michigan. I know Hunter Dickinson came back, but Maryland looks checked out. They they look like they're done. They know they got an interim coach that won't be there. They have some young talent as we saw when they came here, but they're a mess. They're a mess and they can go in these prolonged offensive droughts. And I really think that Illinois is going to have the mental edge that they need to just go in there and get the job done. So Friday night at 6, 6 p.m. tip Right after happy hour, and I don't think Illinois fans will have to sweat that out much. I, I, I'm i not worried about that game. For one, we play well on the road. <laughs> you know, it seems like we have some of our better games on the road. Go figure. But for another, that's just talk about playing a team at the exact right time. A lot of bad things have, have happened for Maryland the last two weeks, and I don't think that they're really going to be a desperate team. I think they're going to be a tired team, and that's different. You know, a desperate team that's playing for their coach's job or something – that's maybe not one that you want to face. But no, this is a perfect time to play them. Tuesday, Michigan State at home. I prefer that as opposed to going to East Lansing just yet. Yes, play them at home. I think that's a favorable matchup for Illinois. Michigan State's still figuring out the point guard position. They got some tweeners that are athletic and might give Kofi some trouble. I mean, Kofi's had trouble defensively against anybody recently, which is concerning. But um, I do think overall that you have the edge in that matchup. And you also have the mental edge that, Brad Underwood can play with these guys. They have not beat Michigan State since Brad Underwood's second year. And that's the worst stretch against any Big Ten team. So you got rid of that Maryland monkey on your back on January 6th. And I think you'll do so again on this Friday, January 21st. But Michigan State's the one team out there in the Big Ten that you've not beaten consistently. So, okay, hopefully that plays into Illinois' favor. And then Saturday at Northwestern. That's next Saturday, the 29th. So I think this all works out. And I think you need to go 3-0 because then comes a three-game gauntlet, two of them away. Now, Wisconsin is at home on February 2nd. I don't know how they're doing it. Ken Palm still doesn't believe in Wisconsin as an elite team. They have them 25th, but that doesn't mean that Wisconsin can't stack some wins in the Big Ten. And right now, Ken Palm has them projected to go 14-6 with their losses at Illinois. At Michigan State and at Indiana, and then Purdue at home. They don't have to go to. Well, they already did go to Purdue. What am I talking about? They want at Purdue, and I, I look at the schedule for them. I mean, they're sitting there at six and one in the Big Ten as well. Their one loss is at Ohio State, and they lost pretty badly. The other road games, they won at Purdue, and then they won by one point at Maryland. And then they won by six last night at Northwestern. So I I do think that they will lose another game or two on the road. But those road games are Nebraska, and that's going to be a win. Illinois, I think Illinois will still win that. Michigan State away, so hopefully Michigan State figures their stuff out. Indiana will be tough on the road. Maybe Minnesota. On the road at Minnesota, February 23rd, can be a loss for them. And then uh, Rutgers away as well. I mean, I could see that. So, yeah, I do think there are stumbling blocks for them. But all of a sudden... I'm looking at their schedule and thinking, oh, crap. Do they have the same thing they did two years ago where they rattle off a bunch of wins late and get a Big Ten title? And they wouldn't be backing into it. I mean, they're starting red hot. And they got Johnny Davis, one of the best players in the nation. But uh, that would be exceedingly frustrating for them to do that. But here's the gauntlet for Illinois. That was a bit of an aside on Wisconsin. February 2nd Wisconsin at home, Indiana on the road February 5th, that's an early Saturday tip-off and then Purdue on Thursday, February 10th. You got to go 2 and 1. I think you got to go 2 and 1 in that stretch. And that probably means one of those road games. At Indiana is going to be tough. That team has been very competitive with Illinois in the last few years and I don't feel great about that. Purdue, well, we know that's going to be an absolute marquee matchup. I mean, that's going to be the game of the year, I think, and potentially one that can help either of those teams lock up at least a share of the Big 10, even with 7 games left on the schedule for Illinois. So, these next 6 games, the first 3, I do think they need to go 3 and 0. I think they will go 3 and 0. Maryland, Michigan State at home, and then back on the road to Northwestern. Okay. 3 and 0 gets you to 9 and 1. Let's say then you go 2-1 and one against the toughest part of the schedule, Wisconsin, Indiana, Purdue. That would get you to 11-2 and two with 7 to go. And at that point, I'm feeling extremely comfortable that you will win a share. Because what comes next? And it's tough. I mean, it doesn't get easy, but I could say the same for any Big Ten team. Northwestern at home. Rutgers away. Yeah. Michigan stayed away. Yeah, okay. Ohio stayed at home. And then here's your final three. Michigan on the road, which will be tough by that point. I mean, we saw it wasn't easy on Friday night when they came here. And then Penn State and Iowa at home. If you can somehow, some way, somehow, some way be 13 and five, or oh my God, could you imagine 14 and four going into those final two home games? I think you're golden. I think a five loss team will get a share and a four loss team will get an outright. So their destiny is still in their hands, right? And we do get the benefit of only playing Wisconsin once here at the State Farm Center. That is a benefit. you got to win that game. You've got to put them behind you at least a half game here. And then Indiana is another one that I look at because the Purdue game we all know full well is going to be a classic. The Indiana game I'm looking at and saying, okay, not a trap game by any stretch, but that is a somewhat short turnaround after what will probably be a tough Wisconsin game. Can you get up about 48, uh, 60 hours later to play Indiana? We'll see. But at least it's right there for them, and uh, I am excited to see how this team responds, and I think they'll respond well. Again, it is amazing how after a game like that, where we could have walked out, and some may have, and they would be justified in thinking this, man, we can't get over the hump against these elite teams, right? Well, keep in mind, last year, this team won a lot of elite games. We just weren't in the building to see it, or we weren't on the road at a venue to see it. Think about that stretch run from late January all the way through the Big Ten tournament last year. Big win after big win, and many of them against top ten teams. So, there was a tweet earlier this week, and the guy's name escapes me, and that's okay. Basically saying that Underwood will be the next Mark Turgeon. He can't win the big one. Well, it's a little bit early to say that, and I know the Loyola game didn't help. But actually, Brad Underwood last year convinced me that, no, I don't need to worry about him winning big, Big Ten games. He did that time and time again, and we'll continue to do that down the stretch. And don't forget that the trend for Brad Underwood teams, they play great from late January on in the Big Ten. We already have this advantage of a 6-1 record in conference. And there's no reason for me to think that despite the schedule getting tougher, that this team won't get better along with it. So I do think that overall this team will still find their way to a Big Ten title. It won't be easy, and the Purdue game would have all but locked it up. I mean, if I'm being honest, I think beating Purdue Monday – would have kind of set you up for at least a share, even if you stumble once or twice later on. Now this means you got to be a little bit better. You maybe can't afford two out-of-nowhere losses. Maybe you can only afford one, and you're going to have to get a really big road win or something like that. But if I look at the home games going forward, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa. got to win all of them, and I think you will. Because none of those teams are going to be as tough of a matchup for you as Purdue. And what you did at Purdue at home, taking that game to two overtimes with as many things going against you as they were, I think that if I'm doing the transitive property thing, that tells me this team will be fine at home. And that would get them one, two, three, four, five, six. That would get them to 12, big 10 wins. So, can they get three more on the road? When your road games are Maryland, I think that should be one. Northwestern, that should be two. And then Indiana, Purdue, Rutgers, Michigan State, and Michigan. Can you get one out of those four? Sure. I think so. I think you get more than one out of those four. So hold serve at home, as Sean Harrington often says, and he does the plus-minus chart that's helpful. And despite the loss to Maryland, Illinois is looking good because they already have three road wins in the Big Ten. Uh, Just keep winning on the road and hold serve at home, and it'll take care of itself. And it's easier said than done, but I think the trend for Brad Underwood's teams at this time of year make me feel pretty good that they will still find their way to at least a share of the Big Ten title. And I do think that that can include a win at Purdue. Final point. Let's say you lose both games to Purdue, and you either get a share, or let's say you get the outright, and then Purdue fans are thinking, ah, this sucks, we were better than them. Here's how I would view that, and I'm already kind of rationalizing this in my mind. What you did last year and what you accomplished deserved a Big Ten banner. Winning a Big Ten banner this year, even if you lose to Purdue twice, which is a possibility, right? It is. I would look at that more as a summation for three straight years of high-level Big Ten success. And yes, Purdue could say, well, it's kind of an asterisk, you know, we beat you twice. Listen, this has happened to Illinois before, too. Back in 89, Indiana won the Big Ten title. Illinois beat them both times. And yeah, hey, no big deal you got to the final four, but I mean that's one of those things that if you tell a younger fan, yeah, the 89 final line, I didn't even win the Big 10, they might be surprised by that. I mean, this happens. So, don't take don't feel bad if that's what happens. If you lose both games to Purdue but still win the Big 10, well, that's how that's how it goes sometimes. If you're Purdue, don't lose to freaking Rutgers on a last second shot. If you're Purdue, don't lose at home to Wisconsin as good as they're playing, don't do that. And as good as Purdue look Monday, I do think that they are due for, Purdue is due, for another couple blips. And then you had the Illinois game on February 10th, which may tell the tale. Okay, before I get out of here, there was something that happened on Sunday night on Twitter. And, uh, you know, you're, you might be groaning already. A Twitter conversation, I know it's ridiculous, but wanted to just kind of clear the air here. Myers Leonard came back on Monday. He donated five hundred thousand dollars to the oven renovation. Now, what happened on Sunday was this news came out, and I kind of rolled my eyes and groaned, thinking, oh, is is this the time?" For a few reasons. One of them was Martin Luther King Day. It felt like I don't know if this is the right time to do it. Another one was Illinois Purdue, and I was so locked into that game that I, personally speaking, and this is coming from a selfish place, I didn't want there to be any distractions. I knew the team wouldn't be distracted. But I was going to be in the State Farm Center. I'm like, hey, I don't want anything to take me out of the game. I'm just here for the damn game. But then there was also the factor on Saturday that there was a synagogue that was held up and there were hostages in there. Fortunately, no one was hurt. But it was, of course, an act of anti-Semitism. So I'm thinking, okay, Myers Leonard a year ago basically lost his job in the NBA because he used an anti-Semitic slur on a video game stream. And I think it was on Twitch, maybe. I'm not sure. But regardless, he has paid a heavy price for it. And I think the cynical part of me kind of kicked in here thinking, okay, what is this, an image reclamation tour? Are we giving the money to the university? And, of course, we're going to take it. We have to. And, of course, we have to recognize him because he's an alumni. Um, It it just felt icky to me because the cynical part of me was viewing this, right? Well, if the more optimistic side of me would have been viewing it and really paying more attention to what Myers had been doing the last year, and if I knew what he was going to do on Monday— When he spoke to the press, and then he went to the Illinois Chabad, and it's C-H-A-B-A-D, so I don't know if it's Chabad or Chabad, which is a Jewish organization on campus, and a rabbi who's very well respected on campus led a 90-minute dialogue with Myers. Myers is earnest in his desire to fix what he did. And regardless of what he said, and regardless, even if he knew what the word was, right, even Even if he knew what it was, as bad as that word is, it is a nuclear word that you cannot say. I cannot question what he's done in the last year. Because this goes beyond, well, I'm just trying to clean up my image to get back to the NBA. This goes beyond that. He is going above and beyond trying to be a better person. So I can look at the crime and say, yes, that is awful what he did. And it is. And it's an awful enough crime for me to question, well, is this really the time to bring him back? But after what we saw Monday... And listening to him talk and, and seeing the feedback from the rabbi that held this forum and all that were in attendance, including Commissioner Jones, uh, Robert Jones, I thought, okay, Commissioner? Chancellor? What am I saying, Commissioner? Chancellor Jones. Uh, I, I've i changed my tune, and if anything, I regret that the tweet that I put out Sunday was presumptuous in a cynical way for Myers. And I, I, I let my cynicism with this sort of image rehabilitation thing that we so often see That kicked in, right? And um, that is maybe unfair because I don't know Myers personally. By most accounts, he's a great guy. And by most accounts, what we saw Monday, he is very earnestly trying to do the right thing. And it takes guts to admit that you made a terrible mistake. That takes guts on its own, but it takes more guts to actually try to make a positive change. He's trying to do that. What more can I ask him to do? You know. Now... um, I'm not going to go so far as to apologize for what I said because the tweet itself was not really personally attacking him. It was more to do with the timing of it, and I purposefully tried to not make it uh, a political tone at all. To me, it was just, Ugh, do we really need to be doing this? That was really the gist, but you can't get that out there nonverbally. It's only the words that people read on Twitter, fair or unfair. But I put it out there, so I got a reaction, and I, I kind of expected that. But, you know, then there's stuff like Dave Wisnowski, who's basically the River North version of Clay Travis, or wannabe Clay Travis, who lurks and will find these things to just pounce on, and then his of fans are all getting on my ass about it, my notifications blow up from a bunch of people that entirely miss the point. And then they start getting personal. I, first off, I don't know what Dave Wisnowski's deal is, and I don't interact with him anymore because I don't care to. I've met him in person, I think he's probably a nice enough guy, but I think that Um, Someone called me a keyboard warrior on Sunday. There is not a damn thing I would say on Twitter that I wouldn't say to somebody's face, including when I told Dave that if he says that I have an awful take, that's really like the pot calling the kettle black because he's had many of them. And I would say the same thing to his face. Uh, Just lurking and, and waiting to pounce on an imperfect tweet, which I admitted immediately afterwards that it was maybe flawed logic that was going on there. At least I operate in nuance. And he doesn't. And a lot of his people don't. And there was a section of Illini fans that don't. Or they just didn't read what I said. And even if I replied and tried to make a conversation out of it, it wasn't going to happen. But you see, this right here, as I'm talking about this, makes me realize, okay, me talking about a Twitter feud, so to speak, is pretty low and pretty lame, right? And meanwhile, there's actually Myers Leonard trying to do something positive here. So here's the big here's the big takeaway. Kudos to Myers for doing what he did. What he did last year was wrong. I was very cynical when he said that he didn't know what the word meant and all that. And I'm not going to go back and, you know, be the judge, jury and executioner on that act. But what I am going to focus on is the fact that he is trying to be a positive force now. And really, that's all that matters. And I don't think it's one of those situations where he's doing this and then going home to his wife at night saying, <laughs> you think they're, they're buying this whole image reclamation thing? No, I don't think that's the case. I think it's genuine. And while I was embarrassed for the university that uh, an ambassador, so to speak, of my alma mater Did something that stupid and was plastered all over the front pages of sports websites for saying a word like that? I was embarrassed, right? And not to mention just the outright outrageousness of using that word. Um, But I will say, and the, the danger of sounding hyperbolic here, which you know I can be sometimes, that I am proud that he is doing this sort of thing and uh, it, it does reflect well back on him as a person, and then indirectly back on the university. So it was, in hindsight, right for the university to say, "Come on back, Myers." Outside of the money, I don't think they said, "Myers, if you come back and you need to do this, this or that." I genuinely think he probably reached out to the Illinois Habad or Chabad, and if I'm mispronouncing that, I do apologize. I think he was genuinely doing all those things. So kudos to Myers for doing that and trying to fix what uh, the wrong that he did. And uh, I wish him well. And I think that he can become a good voice um, in spreading why anti-Semitism is as bad of a thing as it is and and why it continues to just perpetuate generation after generation, which is just beyond me. I, I don't understand why that is. All right, going to get out of here. i uh, got to thank DP Doe. I'm on at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign, Urbana. That's dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, I'm on at fourthandkirby.com. All your vintage inspired eye apparel, including t shirts, hoodies, and crewnecks, that's all mine at fourthandkirby.com. Rector Construction, I'm on at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior projects. R E C T R construction.com and finally state farm agent, Brian Hanson online at Brian is my for life auto home business renters. You name it. Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy at Brian is my for a Island Inqu- inquirer excuse me, and the champagne showers podcast network. And Hey, cheap promotion here, but this is decadence out of your head from our latest album fever dreams available anywhere music is streaming we will be back friday night for a second app podcast with myself trevor valise and isaac ambrose as illinois will presumably smoke maryland you heard it here first all right hey in the meantime stay safe stay healthy and we'll see you friday it is the 200 level